This last week on Friday, I had a family show up from the last church that I served, and I got to give them a tour of Ashland, and that, that's always a fun thing to do, but we went into the kitchen, and this couple comes from a church that prides themselves on having the nicest commercial kitchen of any church in the area. They, they were gifted the kitchen from the family that started U.S. Foods, so, I mean, they had nice stuff till they walked into the Ashland kitchen. We, uh, we, are, we are blessed to be able to, to have one of the finest kitchens anywhere in the country. So uh, what an exciting church to be a part of. You know, we have been talking about what does it look like to live your best life? Even asking the question, I think, makes all kinds of thought start to happen. What what does your best life look like? And, and the question often is, what can we do to make our life our best life? If you watch any television, if you, if you connect with any kind of media, there's always somebody out there willing to tell you that they have something for sale that will give you your best life. But the reality is, your best life doesn't come from that kind of stuff. Your best life comes from our relationship with Christ and how that lives itself out. And this morning, that segment of living our best life revolves around growing a wise heart. Growing a wise heart. One of my very favorite movies is a movie by, by the name of The Replacements. Now, I know it will surprise you, but, but my, one of my favorite movies is a football movie. And in this movie, what happens is the professionals, the, the A-team guys, decide to go on strike, as if football players don't make enough money. But they go on strike, and while they're on strike, each of the teams goes out and recruits a new team, people that didn't make the cut, that for whatever reason weren't those A-team pros and and so each team puts those together and they're playing along and they're coming to the end of the season and lo and behold, the strike ends and the A-listers come back. And in this particular part of the movie, the A-listers on the other team are there, but the replacement players on our team, they're still playing the game. And halftime arises and... As, as amazing as it is to me, reporters run after the coach at halftime. They've got a microphone in their hand, and they ask that question, what do, you, what do you need to do to turn your team around? And I always think, gosh, if they knew that, they'd have already done it, right? <laughs> but Gene Hackman plays the part of, of the coach, and, and his line, it resonates with me today and, and has for a very long time. He says it's going to take heart. Lots and lots of heart. That's living our best life. It takes heart. Lots of heart. And it takes not only a heart, but a wise heart. So that's, that's kind of where we're going to go this morning. We're going to take a look at heart health, not, not that physical heart health. We, we know what our heart is, right? I mean, it, it's an organ in our body. It pumps blood. It's central to everything we do when we talk about 
heart health, we, we start talking about things like cholesterol and having angiograms and, and those of us at a certain age, you know, we're, we're concerned about having stints and all kinds of things, but that's not the heart health we're talking about today. What we're talking about is heart health as it relates to a reflection of our life. The heart has always been used metaphorically. We, we talk about people that have a loving heart, people that have a big heart, people that have a gracious heart. We're not looking inside their chest. We're looking at their life. We're looking at the things that they say. We're looking at the things that they do. This morning what I offer to you is that we need to have a wise heart. And that wise heart, that wise heart is a reflection of of whose we know, knowing who we belong to. Last week, I talked with you about, you know, this life is not our own. We didn't didn't end up with life because we gave it to ourselves. We, We owe our life to the one that created us. And knowing knowing that, knowing who created us, knowing who our life truly belongs to is that first step of wisdom. When we know that, when we connect with God, wisdom, wisdom comes as a result of that. Now, what we're going to use as kind of a a framework for that today is, is a book of the Bible that I hope I hope you will read if you haven't. And if you have, I I encourage you to go back home and read it again. Generally, what I ask you to do on Sunday morning is I will will read a portion of a chapter and I ask you to go home and during the week read the rest of the chapter or or sometime uh, to to kind of fill in the blank. Today, I'm I'm giving you a bigger challenge. I want you to do more than read the 19th chapter of Proverbs. I want you to read the entire book of Proverbs. My guess is, as you start to read it, it's going to build such an appetite, you're not going to be able to put it down. It is, it is one of those books that, that truly, it, it kind of hooks you and you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I love practical theology. And the book of, of Proverbs is indeed that. Solomon, Solomon writes the book of Proverbs, and what we know about Solomon is that, that he was the wisest of all kings. He was the wisest of all people. And where did that wisdom come from? It came from his request that he have a double portion of the wisdom of God. So I offer to you today, we're in the 19th chapter of Proverbs. We're going to read the first eight verses. But listen carefully about how much sense this makes. How it is just, you know, it's the wisdom of God, but it's stuff that that really we ought to know, and not only know, but then we ought to do. He writes this, Better the poor whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. 
a false witness will not go unpunished. And whoever pours out lies will not go free. Many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of one who gives gifts. The poor are shunned by their own relatives. How much more do their friends avoid them? Though the poor pursue them with pleading, they're nowhere to be found. The one who gets wisdom loves life. And the one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. The one who loves wisdom loves life. The book of Proverbs was written to give us a clear vision and understanding of the heart of God. I'm really, I'm a, I'm a very visual learner. I like, I like to see things. And if I see them, then oftentimes I can make that connection. That's what the book of Proverbs does. It, it gives us a visual of, of what it looks like to be really foolish and then what it looks like to be really wise. If you would go into my office today, you'll find this big whiteboard. And that whiteboard, that whiteboard is to help me see with some clarity, what it is I'm trying to think through. Donna Wilson was in my office the other day, and, and we took the whiteboard, because Donna was trying to explain to me this new mission that she feels Ashland is, is just well-equipped to be a part of. And, and she would tell me, and I'd say, Donna, I don't get it. And then Donna started to write. And as as she wrote, as we kind of flow-charted out what it would look like, I, I started to say, oh, yeah, I get that. I see, I, see, I see what you mean. That's the book of Proverbs. It, it, it's to lay out for us what it really looks like. When we talk about wisdom, when we talk about the wise and the foolish, the book of Proverbs makes it so clear-cut that we can't help but see it. If we can do that, then we can start to draw in on the middle. And that's kind of what gets us in trouble, right? I mean, how many times have you done something and you thought, well, this isn't really the best idea, but I'm going to do it anyway, and bam, something not good happens. That's what Solomon's talking about. He is, he's talking about having a wise heart. He's talking about acting with wisdom, and as he does that, he gives us clear illustrations of how to be wise as opposed to how to be foolish. And as we, we have that bigger picture, we can start to draw it down to where it really makes sense for us. Wisdom doesn't come from your friends, though they may try to tell you they have it. Doesn't come from your family, though they may have some of it. But the wisdom that we're seeking today, that wisdom comes from God. So how do we find that? How do we find the wisdom of God? Today, I read to you out of the book of Proverbs. 
and Proverbs is filled with, with lots of just good common sense theology. I, I truly enjoy that. But, but I want you, I want you to, to kind of hold on to this thought, all right? The last couple weeks, we have had the privilege of welcoming to Ashland the local Jewish temple folks. And we welcome them to celebrate their high holidays here because they experienced something Ashland has experienced. We had the wisdom to know when you have bats, it's a very bad thing. The Jewish temple had bats. Our heart went out to them. We welcomed them to come, and, and uh, they are just lovely folks. I mean, they are lovely people. It was, it was truly an honor to be able to welcome them here. But the people of the Jewish temple and the people of Ashland share a different understanding of theology. Their primary resource of knowledge and thought comes from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They use that, they connect it with the prophets, that Old Testament scripture, and that's a marvelous thing. It's important for us to know that. That's where we come from. That is our history. But my friends, we are not people of the Old Testament. We're people of the New Testament. Jesus says this. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. Hold that in check. He didn't come and wipe the law out. Here's what he did do. He came to fulfill the law. Very different things. What he says is, I have been the fulfillment of all that that was offered before. We think Jesus, um, we, we think of Jesus in terms of grace, of forgiveness, all of that's true. But when he comes as a fulfillment of the law, what it means is you and I don't live by the legalism of the Old Testament, right? So if we're going to have wisdom, wisdom is, is knowledge, but Wisdom's also application. One of the challenges Christian people have today, you will see it, you will see it almost anywhere you look. People will take from the Old Testament their favorite, their, their favorite thing they think we should not do. They cherry pick. And say, it says it in the Old Testament, don't do that. Okay. The problem with that is you can't just pick and choose. You can't say, you know, I am, I am not going to eat pork, but I'll eat shellfish. Well, that's ridiculous. As a fulfillment, you and I don't have to worry about eating shellfish, unless we're allergic to it. We, we don't have to worry about eating pork, but we also don't have to worry about trying to follow to the letter of the law all of those other things. Now, Jesus, Jesus brings us something that is as challenging for us, I think. And it truly has been challenging for the church to live out. 
I say it every Sunday. I know you hear it and you say, Doug, you said it last Sunday. You said it the Sunday before. But here's what I believe. I believe repetition helps us. I believe if we hear it often enough, if we say it often enough, we'll start to live it out and we'll actually bring that into fruition. Jesus, Jesus said, I come as the fulfillment of the law, but I bring you a new commandment. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And we say amen. We should do that. We love God. That's marvelous. But then Jesus takes the next step, which is if really you love God, now keep that in check, if you really love God, here's what you have to do. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. That's not so easy. But see, we can't cherry pick either. We can't take one part of the commandment and leave the other. When I talk about being a mission-based church, our mission is as disciples of Jesus Christ to show love and grace. Our mission as disciples of Jesus Christ is to, in fact, have the wisdom of God. We talk about, and Kathy talked about, learning and experience. And, you know, did, did it ever occur to you during that time that Kathy was giving us that illustration that she would turn on the oven or turn on the stove and, you know, the burner popped up? Did you ever think she'd hold her hand over there? Never ever, right? She wasn't going to burn her hand, get third-degree burns, and then show us all what it really looked like. We have the ability, my friends, to learn without having the actual experience by sharing together the experience that we know in Jesus. Jesus came and lived a life that reflects the life he asks us to live. Now, I know some of you may be saying, Doug, that's great. I appreciate the fact that the Bible tells us what we ought to know about the life of Jesus. You know, it's only the New Testament. I get that, but I'm just not a reader. I'm, it just, I, I can't just do that all the time. Not a problem. Do you know today audiobooks make the Bible available where you can listen to it? Even those of us that don't hear well, we can turn the volume up. You know, we have the power of video. There are several groups in the life of Ashland that have gathered together and watched the, the movie, if you will, called The Chosen. Now, I will grant you, it is, it is in fact, a, a, a film that takes some literary license. But in the midst of that literary license, if you want to see what Jesus did, watch The Chosen. You want to see the impact Jesus had on other people's lives? Watch that. Now, there'll be some things you'll go, well, I don't see that in Scripture. Take a deep breath and see what it is that Jesus is saying and doing and how those around him responded 
and what that means for us to respond as Jesus responded. See, that's what wisdom looks like. Jesus offers us wisdom by his own life. When we talk about having a wise heart, when we talk about having wisdom, what we're talking about is having the heart of Jesus because the heart of Jesus, that's a wise heart. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful today for the wisdom of Solomon, but we're thankful for the life of Jesus that lived out before us that, that calling about how as a disciple we, we give up of ourselves to take on more of you that we might better care for others and reflect the very heart of Christ. Lord, we ask your blessing today and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.